Dear Old State is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. And Penn State's last home game of the year is coming up against Rutgers on Saturday. It's always a game with... A questionable attendance sometimes because of the holiday and because students are on break and coming back from break. And uh, with the opponent, and as, as Rutgers, there are plenty of tickets available. Game time is a great place to go to get the best deals on those tickets. So the Game Time app is simple, quick, easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last minute deals on tickets up to 60% off as Penn State prepares for its senior day and last home game against Rutgers. Check out the tickets on Game Time. Welcome back to Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State podcast. It is a special edition, all-decade, best of the 2010s show here on Dear Old State as we look back at uh, an eventful 2010s, to say the least, at Penn State. I am Matt Brown, athletic college football editor, joined, as always, by Penn State writer Audrey Snyder. How are you doing, Audrey, as the decade winds down here for Penn State football? I'm feeling old, Matt. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of, you know, it's, it's interesting. I never would have imagined. I went to school at Penn State uh, 2008 to 2012 and never in my wildest dreams ever planned on staying here for so long doing this job for so long, covering Penn State football for a decade. Um, but here we are. So it's kind of unique that I probably met you around 2010 at the student paper. Yep. So we were both... Uh, now, granted, you have the whole historical background here of decades prior to me, um, but we've both been closely in tune to this past decade. So coming up with our all-decade team with some memorable games, memorable moments... Uh, it's going to be fun to dig into it today. Yeah, so this is part of our whole athletic company-wide, really, package of all-decade teams and look-backs at all the best moments across all sports, uh, including college football. We have all-decade teams and best moments, whatever, for, for every team uh, that we cover. For And we have some national content, too, in terms of the all-decade teams, which were my responsibility nationally. Uh, but so also, read it and tear Matt apart on that if you please don't Please do. <laughs> but also some other content looking back at the best games nationally and all of that. So lots of good stuff that is up at The Athletic and across all sports for, for the week. But Great Thanksgiving week reads. There you go. Uh, if you want to avoid your family around the table or if you want to say, hey, uncle, I can change the conversation. <laughs> and did you see The Athletic's all-decade team? Um, we're here to help you guys out. Or... If you're listening to us, potentially on one of the busiest travel days of the year, hope you have safe travels to wherever you're headed. So Penn State's decade, uh, there's obviously an elephant in the room. We're not going to dwell on it, but it, it did not start, you know, in, in good fashion, to say the least. Uh, yeah. you know, the darkest, the 2010 started really with, well, in 2010, you had Joe Paterno's 400th win, which we'll get to, but 2011, after win number four or nine, uh, then the literally the darkest days in the history of the university, some of the darkest days in college sports history. And there's no getting around it. Uh, the Jerry Sandusky scandal in 2011, and, and it's kind of defined the start of the decade. And, but to be honest, I don't, I didn't think any of us thought by now here at the end of 2019, we'd be talking about so many 
positive memories of the actual football program on the field. Uh, but it's yeah. kind of what happened, Audrey. I mean, it's you think back to how this whole thing started. Like you mentioned, Joe Paterno, the 400th win. Then you go along, you get win 409, and no one knew on that snowy day Penn State beats Illinois that essentially all hell was going to break loose the next week. Yeah. I mean, no one, and we were here for it. Um, I was covering it. I was a student at the time and a student reporter. And, I mean, it was just you couldn't script what happened here. And then you follow that through with the sanctions. And then you get Bill O'Brien. And, I mean, Matt, if, if you would have asked me in 2011, 2012 and said, oh, yeah, by the end of this decade, Penn State's going to win a Big Ten title. They're going to play in the Rose Bowl. They're going to win the Fiesta Bowl. They're going to, you know, by the end of the decade, consistently be among the national powers. I would have said, you've got to be kidding and me. never had a losing record. That, to me, is the absolutely craziest part of this because – I mean, you talk about the history of this place and the pride and the passion. And despite all of the terrible things that happened at the start of the decade that came to light, you saw this fan base rally. You saw this community rally. I mean, you had people lining up to watch this team, to show their support, arguably more than they ever had before. And that's saying something because we know Penn State fans are passionate They're rabid. They love their team. They love their program. They love their school, love this university. But it was a really unique time just in terms of how people rallied around one another. I mean, I think back to the Nebraska game, the week that everything happened and just the mood in that stadium. And there was general questions and concerns of, did people come to this game this week? You know, do they, how do they act about it? Should they even be playing a game this week? And Football, as we saw, became this thing that the community rallied around, became the thing that said, hey, this stuff happened, but it's not going to define this university. The actions of one or a handful of people aren't going to define everyone else uh, who comes into the stadium, who supports Penn State football. So really a crazy, crazy decade, Matt, but it's been a heck of a lot of fun to to cover every angle of it as Penn State's clawed their way back, as they move through the scholarship limitations, as Michael Motti becomes this fixture who I asked him when he was on the show a couple weeks ago, I said to him, you know, hey, are there any bars you have to get to whenever you're in town? And he said, ah, you know, there's some. I said, well, I can probably guarantee, Michael, that you will never buy a drink (laughs) in this town. (laughs) Uh, Just a crazy decade. And then you get Saquon Barkley and, my gosh, was he fun to watch and Trace McSorley. And now you're seeing them, you know, start again, kind of hitting the reset button with Sean Clifford, with Noah Kane, with KJ Hamler. So quite the decade. Yeah. So nobody wants to hear us rehash the scandal. We don't quite frankly want to do that either. This we is, lived it. Yeah. yeah. This We have to acknowledge it. It's it's kind of defined everything that came after. It's, it's the context that's, you know, around this program still. Uh, but. You know, this this podcast here is about the what we saw that was really the best of the decade, the best on the field. And there ended up being more than we expected, I feel like. And uh, it ups and downs for sure. But, you know, they had several star players. You already mentioned a couple of them, several memorable, memorable games and one really, really, really memorable season in 2016. So what we're going to do is Audrey's article kind of covers the best the all decade team, which we had some debates about and we'll have debates on this podcast about. Uh, some of the looking back at the best games, best moments. So why don't we dig into that? And let's start with the 2010s Penn State all decade team, which I feel like there was a lot of 
obvious choices. Like it was kind of a decade where they weren't like Alabama good. So it's not like there's this, you know, a hundred worthy candidates, Yeah. but it wasn't like they were a disaster and there was nobody good. There was a couple of positions that were kind of tough to pick, but offensive line was, offensive line was tough. There were some good players though. Uh, but you look at the skill position players and for us, I feel like the picks were pretty it's obvious. Pretty easy. For the most yeah. Part. I mean, Trace McSorley, your quarterback has to be your quarterback. There's, there's no way around it. Um, Saquon Barkley, absolutely no brainer as the running back. Uh, we also have a second running back on our all decade team. Um, Miles Sanders, you know, you look back and Matt and I discussed this at, at the beginning of the decade and you had Evan Royster, but that was Royster for a year. Uh, so then of course, you know, you have Zach Swinnick in there, you have Bill Belton in there. Uh, a, a lot of guys who were just kind of maybe a little bit, a lot of the same, but then you get Miles Sanders on here, um, at the end, of course, last season, uh, the receiving core was interesting in that Allen Robinson, I mean, everybody thinks back to the Michigan catch and him elevating over Channing Stribling, just plucks the ball out of the air. The crowd loses their mind. That was definitely one of the best moments of the decade. Um, I had a front row seat for that. I was standing on the sideline at the end of the game, watching my story go up in smoke as a young reporter. Um, <laughs> uh, but, I mean, he was just incredible. And, and some of the catches that he'd make, Matt, it was, I mean, the thing that was so interesting because, and I feel like this has held true for a lot of receivers that Penn State has had. I mean, you think about Deshaun Hamilton. You think about the guy who's joining Allen Robinson on our all-decade team, which is Chris Godwin. Deshaun, of course, was, you know, accomplished a heck of a lot here. But they weren't like these diva personalities that you usually think of when you think of receivers. Um, and so with, that was the interesting thing with Allen Robinson was when Ron Vanderlinden went to recruit him, I remember having a conversation with Ron, um, must have been when Allen was like a sophomore, and he went and watched him at a basketball game in, uh, in Michigan, Orchard Lake uh, High School, and he said, man, like this guy was just impressive. And the more they looked at him, it didn't matter that Allen was like a three-star. They're like, we need this guy. We want this guy. Uh, pretty much a, a low-maintenance guy. And the same can be said with Chris Godwin. I mean, Matt, that Rose Bowl performance. Unbelievable. Holy smokes. And he's backed it up in the NFL now. He's become a legit top receiver, really, in the NFL, too. It's like what we saw is, is like his stock like seemingly exploded with that Rose Bowl. But uh, he, he absolutely stands he up there as one of the best players. He was consistently so too. good. I mean, he, he was just one of those guys who it was almost like you know, the ball in his hands, it was like glue, you, you yes. know? I mean, he could just, he could make the plays uh, Clearly deceptively fast. <laughs> in terms of hands uh, like Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's where, I mean, you know, we could, people could try to make a case for Deshaun Hamilton when you look at his whole body of work. Absolutely. But I think when you look at guys who instantly could change the game, in my mind, that was Allen Robinson. If we'd pick that was three receivers, Scott. which is what, you know, Penn State usually operates now. Deshaun yeah. will be the guy. And we'll mention KJ Hamler, too, who we also found a spot for here. But We did. I think I No feel man like, left behind. I don't know. Deshaun Hamilton was a great player, did a lot for this program, but I, I don't think there's going to be too much argument here. And the only tricky spot I felt in this skill position is we mentioned Evan Royster, who, you know, his career in terms of what he accomplished is very, very great. And he's just one of those tricky guys who bridged decades, and his senior year was in 2010. But I feel like if you're going to include a guy like that, 
he would have to peak in 2010, which is we're, we'll get to. Like that was Stefan Wisniewski. His best year individually in terms of honors and stuff was was 2010. Royster, I still identify much more as a 2000s player, as a star player for the 2008 Rose Bowl team, the 2009 Capital One Bowl team. And he had a decent senior year, but he had 1,000 yards, but it wasn't his best. And it felt like he peaked in 2008, 2009. So given that we're just kind of looking at the 2010s, Miles Sanders to me felt like the right choice. And as you know, he had a great season last year, uh, but everybody kind of just pales in comparison to what Saquon accomplished at running back. Yeah, yeah, everyone gets lost in the shuffle because uh, you get the generational talent of Saquon Barkley in there. Uh, but, Matt, you know, you look at guys who bounced back, and that's our tight end yep. selection, Mike Kaziki. I mean, it was, I remember going to Mike's, like, not signing day, but like his announcement ceremony at his high school in New Jersey. And it was like, okay, here's this big athletic tight end who at that point was committed to Bill O'Brien. It's like, all right, what is Penn State going to do with this guy? Because you heard the stories about how he was just this dominant basketball player, volleyball player, was seemingly excelling at everything that he did. And then you saw him get to Penn State, and there were the blocking struggles. Then there was the drop-filled season where his social media account was not a very pleasant place. Uh, Fans were kind of all over him. But then he rebounded and just became this dominant guy, which was what Penn State had envisioned all along. You know, that's what they had expected initially. He became that. And, you know, I think you can kind of look, too, at the evolution of that tight end position throughout this decade. I mean, you had Jesse James in there earlier on. um, And now you look at it with what they have in a guy like Pat Fryermuth, who's been heck of a lot, you know, really, really impressive so far, too. But they've gotten more athletic at that position as this decade has gone on, which is a great thing because we're talking about oversized receivers who have really helped Penn State elevate this offense. Absolutely. And, you know, Pat Fryermuth would be a guy who certainly makes a case for an all-decade team, but it's hard uh, to argue with our choice here because I think we had really one of the, maybe the best Penn State tight end of all time in Gesicki or up there depending on how you uh if you go way back and what position you term ted qualick as who was like an end in the 1960s but was one of the best of all time as well but nobody been more productive than gasicki uh who was one of the four players uh this decade who had or one of five players this decade who had 100 catches had 1400 yards and uh pretty good crop of skill talent early for penn state i feel like i mean that's that's a good uh group of six guys and again well, we'll just mention him now. We also slotted KJ Hamler in here as the all-purpose return guy. Um, might end up if he if he stays for another year, he's going to end up you know making a case as a wide receiver, pure wide receiver. But kind of easy to fit him on as a guy who's also an exceptional kick and punt returner and receiver altogether. And obviously, even even though he's in his second year, obviously deserves a spot somewhere on this list. Yeah, that's a heck of a lot of talent on offense. And Matt, I will say it's not on the list. It's not an award that we gave out, but the player who consistently stayed after practice the most to hit the blocking <laughs> sled when the media was present, that would also go to Mike Izicki. Consistently on the sled when we'd be at practice. You know who I'll also just give out a, give a shout-out to is uh, he gets a lot of, of crap from people now, uh, but Trace McSorley is the all-decade quarterback, obviously, but Christian Hackenberg deserves credit for – he had some big games at Penn State, had some big moments. Obviously, things didn't end – you know, the way he wanted to, it was an inconsistent career, but Christian Hackenberg committed to Penn state to play at Penn state at a time where it meant a lot 
as a five-star yeah. quarterback. He wanted to play for Bill O'Brien, but you know, NCAA sanctions and coming off this terrible scandal, he's a guy who could have played anywhere in the country out of high school. And he chose Penn State, and I look back at that as kind of like a turning point in recruiting like Derek Williams was in 2004 going into 2005 where Penn State mm-hmm. needed a guy with that status to commit and to stay committed. And you can't, I, you know, you can't overstate Christian Hackenberg's impact in that respect to come to Penn, to be a five-star quarterback prospect to come to Penn state at that time. It meant a lot, even if his career hasn't quite panned out like what we thought it might. Absolutely. Hackenberg, Adam Brenneman, yep. Garrett Sickles, Brendan Mann. I mean, you look at that specific class, those, that group of players, and there's that, you know, that sentimental attachment for a lot of fans. And I get it because this program was definitely on unstable ground. And these guys committed to Penn State really not knowing what in the world was going to happen. Um, they could have easily backed out. And that's, I mean, that's something else. You know, you look at our all-decade team and we're talking about guys on the field. But so many of those guys, I mean, Adam Brenneman is beloved by Penn State fans because he chose to come here, yes. you know, at such an uncertain time. So absolutely, those guys were, were a huge, important part of this decade as well. We can probably breeze through the offensive line quickly here. It was not the easiest Ooh. thing. Uh, they yeah, did have some good tough. players, though. We ended up settling here on... We, cut, we just we, went with five linemen. Yeah, we cheated. We didn't go specifically <laughs> because it was too difficult at a couple spots. And uh, we ended up with five guys who were drafted. They Penn State had five offensive linemen drafted, and while this was not based on... What they did in the NFL, it did kind of showcase five guys who, you know, earned some all Big Ten accolades. In the case of Stefan Wisniewski, earned all American accolades. Um, so our five picks here were Donovan Smith, Johnny Troutman, Connor McGovern, Stefan Wisniewski, John Urschel. Urschel was a two time all Big Ten pick, obviously a great player. You know, Wisniewski is, you know, as good a lineman as Penn State had in the decade. Donovan Smith was a pretty high draft pick for a reason, even though I feel like some didn't feel like he quite lived up to. I, I, Felt like his potential was more in the NFL than what it was in college, but was still a good player for Penn State in a decade that really lacked like transcendent tackles, yeah. um, to say the least. So I don't know if we have any more thoughts on the offensive line, but those are our five. I don't know if there's going to be that much debate about it either. Yeah, I mean Matt Stankiewicz was another guy yep, who absolutely. you know played a heck of a lot of football. He'd probably for be Penn the sixth State. guy here. Yeah, he would have likely been the sixth. Um, but Donovan Smith, Matt, we mentioned that it takes me back to. Part of this decade, we had the storyline that was the Super Six group That's of right. six players who were roommates, close friends, still are. Uh, and that, of course, was, let's see if I remember all six. It's Donovan Smith. It was Alan Robinson. It was Adrian Amos, who also made our team. It was Bill Belton. It was Kyle Carter. And number six was, let's see, who the heck was number six? Well, that's going to bother Dion me, Matt. Barnes. I'm going to have to Google that now. Oh, Dion Barnes. I, I should I I remember that. <laughs> there we go. So that was that was the six. Um, yeah, those guys were, were a heck of a lot of fun to cover. Still the best of friends. So, uh, you know, you look at what happened, and that was a heck of a lot of talent in there, especially when you kind of look at what some of these guys have done now in the NFL with Donovan Smith, with Allen Robinson, with Adrian Amos. Uh, that, was, that was a special group of guys, too. So let's move on to the defense, where even in the – you know, uh, more mediocre years of the decade. Penn State still had some great defenses. You know, before the scandal in 2011, you look back, it was a weird season in that they were like 8-1 and one before the scandal. 
and it, it kind of felt a little fraudulent because they just didn't they didn't really dominate yeah. anybody, but their defense was really good. Uh, Devin Still at defensive tackle, and you know you look at you know when Franklin first got at Penn State and, and with what Bob Shoup did with the defense, they had a really good defense then too, and they've had some good in the past few years. So as always, the def- really the defensive front seven, especially, there's always an, kind of an excess of candidates, and that's been true for Penn State most of its history in terms of defensive linemen, linebackers. You would put those two and running back as kind of Penn State's best positions historically, and really that kind of held true this decade. Although the receivers were up there as well, uh, defensive end, defensive tackle was more crowded. Defensive end. Well, there was one really obvious pick because of his one really great season. That was Carl Nassib. And financial advice. And Yeah, he's on here just for that, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Car- Carl Nassib was just this freak that kind of came out of nowhere. You know, you look at a guy who started here as a walk-on, um, took a lot of pride in being that kind of the leader of, of that group of players, and then you watch as it evolved. And he was just so disruptive um, just really became a force and kind of like a monster, you know, on that edge during his career. He was a heck of a lot of fun to watch. 15 and a half sacks as a senior in 2015. Pretty good. <laughs> I mean, it was, and his personality was just, you'd kind of juxtapose this monster on the field with a guy who would say a few words. Maybe you'd get a couple word answers out of him. Um, was just a really unique personality in that regard. But heck of a player. You've seen him, you know, you know, do a nice job in the NFL. Um, so, so that was certainly a candidate. And then our second defensive end spot, uh, we were, we were looking at it. We're saying, okay, I mean, Garrett Sickles was important here. Like we touched on earlier, mm-hmm. the sentimental value he had that the second half against Ohio state, which will always be, you know, the moment of his career. But we gave the honor to Etor Gross Matos, obviously still on this, this current squad. You look at his numbers, Matt, um, this year, not as, as flashy to this point, at least, uh, as, as of when we're recording this on Friday, November 15th, uh, not as flashy as you'd, you'd think, uh, but he's a guy who we saw it last season. I mean, and you think back to this is someone who came in and played as a true freshman, which we didn't see happen a lot either. And he had, you know, we Nassib had the most sacks in the decade in the season. Uh, Gross Matos had more tackles for loss last year, 20, than Nassib had in that big year. So pretty good and, and i don't think we should you know there's some good candidates here it's not like they've had you know superstars at defensive ends you know sharif miller Dion barnes uh jack crawford they've had some good defensive ends but you know i think it's hard to top well beyond nasa but for the others yeah. it's hard to top what what gross matos did last year i think there's more it's pretty deep at defensive tackle and i think there was one guy who had to be on here and that was devin still who was an all-american uh, had kind of a monster season in 2011 that, you know, gets lost in what happened in 2011. But he had, as a defensive tackle, he had 17 tackles for loss, which is pretty extraordinary. Not many guys do that playing on the interior. And he was a kind of a slam dunk All-American that year uh, in Joe Paterno's final game in that 10-7 slop fest in the snow against Illinois. <laughs> Devin still had three and a half tackles for loss. So I feel like he had to be on here. But then we debated, like, Five guys second in the other spot. defensive tackle spot? <laughs> yeah, so the second spot we ended up going with Anthony Zettel, who played a little bit of everywhere uh, when he was here. But our other candidates, of course, you know, you look at Austin Johnson. You look at Daquan Jones. You look at Jordan Hill. Um, 
I mean, they, all of those guys had their moments. I mean, it was, the interior was, was really good when you look at, look at that, but Zettel was, (laughs) he was a bit of a freak at the position. Um, You know, also, again, Matt, an award we didn't give out, but probably the most, yeah, I would say the most unique personality of anyone, (laughs) (laughs) you know, in this past decade, Uh, he was just, I remember he came into an interview one time wearing a Halloween mask. Uh, there was the time in the locker room, the video, he roundhouse kicked a water bottle and nearly took off the head of an unsuspecting freshman, which turned out to be Saquon Barkley. Uh, just a guy who was a lot of fun to cover because you never, never really knew what he was, what he was going to say, but he was so disruptive and so versatile too, that they really were able to get a lot out of him. And again, this wasn't, you know, it wasn't some big time recruit, from Michigan who came here, he was an under-the-radar guy, just kind of the hardworking, uh, blue-collar person. But there were definitely some arguments to be made, Matt, and we did have these you know, these conversations before we published the team about some of those other candidates for sure. All worthy, all worthy. Uh, Zettel, here, here's what we can hang our hat on, which is a lot of, you know, you're trying to find something when you're making these picks that, mm-hmm. okay, here's the easy pitch, and here's the pitch. 2014-2015, uh, Penn State had, you know, pretty mediocre teams, but they finished third in yards per play allowed on defense 2014 nationally and 14th in 2015. And Zettel, for if you look from 2010 to 2019 and add it all up, he leads Penn State in sacks with 20, tackles for loss with 38. Also, it's mostly a defensive tackle at 119 tackles, pretty darn good. So the statistics are there. They back it up. You know, he played for really good defenses. And personality, add it all up, I think he's a worthy pick even though you know, Daquan Jones, Jordan Hill, all these guys, Austin Johnson who played next to Zettel, all deserve it as well. Um, Move on. It is linebacker you and well, you won't be, you'll be shocked to learn readers and listeners that Michael Motti is on the team. (laughs) Shocked. Yeah. I mean, that was the, the no brainer here for sure. I've never seen a team rally around one player like these guys did with Michael Motti. And I've also never seen, a leader like that at Penn State during my time covering it, given the sanctions, given this program and what was happening. I mean, Matt, you go back to when he and Michael Zordich post, there's someone on their behalf post that YouTube video where they're standing there saying that this program is not going to be torn down because of the actions of one person. I mean, that is stuff that you can't script, you can't make it up. I mean, that was leadership. It was so genuine, uh, just absolutely remarkable player, remarkable person, incredible leader. Um, I mean, we may never see, and hopefully, you know, because of everything that led to that moment of why he needed to be a leader. I mean, I don't think you'll ever see someone like that again here. I mean, it was, it was just just incredible. And you, you think back to when Penn State puts the number 42 on the helmets, right, for the Wisconsin game and how they wanted to do that for them. You think of the reason that 2012 was hanging in Beaver Stadium. Despite that being an 8-4 and four team, it was about so much more, and he is just, you know, the embodiment of that. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Michael Zordich, too, who, you know, is RIP fullbacks. Uh, yeah, no fullback on the list. He's, he's a guy, too. You, you know, Maudie is kind of the face of that that effort, but it was, you know, Zorch mm-hmm. was like his partner in crime there. Uh, and you know, with those two and Bill O'Brien and Craig Fitzgerald kind of leading the charge of convincing guys not to transfer and holding the program together. 
Uh, obviously, yeah. we can't overstate the impact there, and Zordich deserves special mention as well for, you know, for being part of that leadership group that kind of kept the team together in the wake of the scandal and in the wake of the sanctions. Um, moving on, then the other linebackers we picked Mike Hall, who his 2014 season he made a you know pretty good case for All American, pretty good case to be a, a Buckus Award candidate, had a phenomenal season that that got him on the list, and also Gerald Hodges. I think there's one debate point here is we didn't. Yeah. Include Jason Cabinda, but he probably could have, but they had four guys for three spots, we feel like. And also Michael yeah. Parsons might make end up making a case as well. So no disrespect to Michael Parsons, but <laughs> I, I mean it, it they definitely you, you had a lot of candidates here and Hall was a guy who I think maybe was a little bit undervalued just in terms of the outside perspective. I mean the coaching yeah. staff absolutely loved this guy. He was the eraser that made the whole defense work. And he was another one of those guys who you know, kind of when the you can leave whenever you want sanction card happened when everything got dropped. He was in a car on his way out of town and decided partway through he was going to turn around and come back and stay. And that was another, just another one of those guys, another one of those moments um, that helped this team. But he was a heck of a player. And I think it was because you'd look at him and you'd say the eye test. You're like, oh man, this guy's he's pretty small, blah, blah, blah. But he played so much bigger yeah. than that. He was a lot of fun to watch. And Gerald Hodges, to be clear, he did not make the team as, as a special <laughs> teams guy. He was not here as a returner. Uh, he was a force. I mean, he just played played so angry, played so aggressive. And I do get the case for Cabinda, absolutely, because you look at he was so instrumental to that 2016 team. He was a guy who played all four years, never redshirted. Uh, dynamic guy, heck of a leader as well, which is really what what you need in that middle linebacker spot. Um, So I I agree. The case definitely was there to be made for Cabinda too. And again, I will say too, yeah, Michael Parsons, by the end of the season, he's, he's in that ballpark as well, even though he's still has another year left uh, as he's, Probably as talented as the linebackers Penn State's had this decade too. Yeah. So shout out to him as well. Uh, who you know, if you you look back at his career after whatever happens in 2020, he's probably a guy who'll have an argument for a case for the 2010s. But we'll see. Um, defensive backs. This is there were some solid candidates here. I, it's just kind of over time. Defensive back is one of the not that Penn State's been bad at the position, but you know, in terms of. NFL or, or all Americans. It's, it's kind of been a weaker position, uh, at least on the defense for Penn state, but there's still some good candidates. I think one of the most obvious choices for us on this whole team is Marcus Allen at safety, who led Penn state in tackles for the decade from 2010 to 2019. And was, you know, one of the leaders heart and soul kind of that defense in, in the program changing years in, in 2016, 2017. I don't think anyone smiled or laughed or had more fun than Marcus Allen during yeah. this decade either. Uh, he was just all energy all the time. And, you know, you look back at our moment of the decade, which should not come as a surprise, but our moment of the decade was the scoop and score. Marcus Allen blocks the field goal. Grant Haley picks it up, scores against Ohio State. That really helped turn this whole thing around. Um, I mean, these were guys who played a lot of football, right? It wasn't like you didn't have the luxury of coming in and maybe you'd sit around for a few years. I mean, you look at the guys who made our list and our corners were, it was Amani Orwarier and Grant Haley and our safeties were Adrian Amos and Marcus Allen. I mean, these guys played a ton of football and I'm sure people remember earlier on Amos was a corner, then became a safety, 
uh, has turned himself into you know a nice NFL player. Grant Haley was a little bit of a pleasant surprise in that he he was one of those first people to commit to James Franklin at Penn State. He was someone who was looking at Vanderbilt, uh, very close with Trace McSorley, and gets in a car with his mom for a visit. His mom went to Penn State, which absolutely helped. Uh, comes here, plays a lot of football, and became a tremendous cornerback. I mean, he was just consistently really good, and to me, that was uh, that was that was one of the the better surprises, just in terms of you look at him now in the NFL, yeah. and I think people would say, oh, you know, maybe at Penn State, if you look back at his freshman year, sophomore year, oh, like we'll we'll see what happens. This guy was consistently good, um, and Amani Warrior, same thing. I mean, big, rangy corner. The other argument for this list uh, was Jordan Lucas. If you think back to the earlier portion of the decade, uh, he was really versatile, had a lot of of nice plays. Uh, So I don't know, Matt, maybe a little bit of recency bias there, but I mean, they've They've gotten better in the secondary as the decade has come to a well, close. Haley and Allen, it's not only the Ohio State play. They also combined to win the Big Ten title. Uh, fourth fourth yeah, down stop, fourth stop. and one. You know, Wisconsin ran a play that they had kind of burned Penn State on earlier in the game, and Allen and, and Haley got there and, and made the stop. So it's kind of amazing that, you know, it, it's not like as iconic of a play. It was like literally just a, you know, fourth and one running play tackle, but it clinched the Big Ten title and was the same two guys that kind of got the run started. And, uh, you know, Haley had a great career. I think I think it's a solid four picks right there for the defensive backs. Quickly, special teams. KJ Hamler, we mentioned, he's on here as kind of our kick returner, punt returner, all-purpose guy. You can, you know, if you want to put Saquon Barkley on here as a kick returner, you can as well. But we already talked about Saquon. We'll talk about We've him. We've him all the accolades. But Hamler, <laughs> you know, he's, you know, a phenomenal explosive threat, obviously. Kicker and punter. Uh, kicker. I mean, Sam Ficken, ultimate, you know, kind of redemption story as a kicker at Penn State. Yeah, you think back to that pinstripe ball too, Matt, right? That was, you know, you look back, obviously, everything starts with Ficken with the UVA game, that disastrous game. That was actually one of, I want to say maybe two games, two or three games this decade that I didn't cover because I was switching jobs. So I, I actually <laughs> missed seeing that game uh, live in person. I was watching on TV. But you look at how he rebounded from that, from a guy who, at the beginning, you said, wow, should he even be kicking in college to someone who became reliable, became a weapon, became somebody who you said, hmm, he's going to get some looks in the NFL, and he has. I mean, this was not what you all, like what anyone would have expected uh, after after that UVA game, but there were absolutely some clutch kicks in there. Um, one of the ones that maybe gets overlooked a little bit is in the Michigan, the four-overtime game. He has the kick there before they get the ball back uh, with a minute left and hits, I want to say it was maybe like a 43-yarder to help uh, close that that 10-point deficit that Penn State had late in that game. Uh, Blake Gillikin, at this point, feels like he's been here forever, yeah. probably because he has. Um, but he was, and it's interesting because he's we're seeing him round back into the form that he was two years ago now. You know, you look at his junior season, wasn't as great as he had hoped. He was working through an injury, but you're seeing him now get back to that form that we saw in years prior. That was such a weapon, such really an important part when you think back to this run that they've been on with the 2016 team, the 2017 team. He was a huge part of that. And 
If you go back even further to the Ohio State game, and there was a snap that was over his head that he had to run to then get the ball out of bounds yep. for a safety yep. as opposed to a defensive touchdown. I mean, that was a huge play. He doesn't make that play. Uh, who knows what happens? We might not be sitting here talking about a scoop and score. So there were some some key moments. Uh, also, one of the better stories in terms of like off-the-field success, he's a 4.0 student in the Honors College, has pre-med aspirations, um, Special special guy has been a heck of a punter, so certainly deserving. So there is our all-decade team for Penn State. Uh, I feel like we covered a lot of the moments within that, which is good, but mm-hmm. we can quickly touch on some of the more memorable moments and games here. Uh, I mean, obviously for both moments and games, nothing stands out more than the 2016 season. I mean, you think back, it's been talked about a lot, but I feel like Penn State fans will never get sick of talking about it. I mean, that team was 2-2. Two and two. They lost that heartbreaking game to Pitt they get run off the field by Michigan embarrassing loss and you know they're struggling against Minnesota at home James Franklin's getting booed hearing people yell that he should be fired and then everything changed Irv Charles (laughs) Irv Charles are are, uh, under the radar moment of the decade I mean it was that game that moment when everything changed and you look back and McSorley has the big run there that helps him, you know, get this thing going. I don't know what would have happened, Matt, had they lost that game. Yeah, I, I mean, don't know. There was genuine pressure from higher ups on, you know, James Franklin and is he the right man for the job after back to back seven and six years? I do not know what happens if they do not come back to win that game. Uh, that was that was a huge moment, but part, I mean, that whole 2016 season. I mean, we could do like 20 memorable moments off of that that season. season. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was, it was incredible. And that team, just the way that they, they came back, that they rallied. uh, I mean, every game, Saquon Barkley was just doing things that you'd say, Oh my gosh, he can't be any better. And then next week he'd find a way to one up himself. Uh, So that to me was that moment in itself. uh, That team was just absolutely incredible. Um, And if we go back to the start of the decade, uh, we mentioned earlier Paterno's 400th win. That was a big moment. That was a special moment. Uh, I remember being on the field at the end for the ceremony there. I was uh, working at the Collegian at the time at Penn State Student Paper. And that's when Joe Paterno delivered a pretty pretty memorable yeah. quote uh, when he had the microphone in his hand. I was there in the stands players. that day, actually. It was right after I Were graduated, you? yeah. Because people were lifting him up. Uh, on his, on you know, on their shoulders, offensive linemen had him. They all had signs that said like 400 the Paterno way. I mean, it was a big spectacle. And Paterno said, "People ask me why I've stayed here so long, and you know what? Look around, look around. Uh, now the celebration's over. Let's go beat Ohio State." Like such a Paterno quote. That was a yeah, weird game ev- too because it was like that place was that stadium was dead for the first half because it was just like. Uh, it was Dan Person, the Wildcats. at halftime, and then McGloin had had one of his better games and let the comeback, and it was kind of crazy how that all uh, all played out. You know, and that's another, now that we mentioned, another guy who was a really interesting part of this decade in Matt McGloin. Um, I remember the great quarterback jockeying for for reps, you know, debate back in uh in the earlier part of his career where it was like all right each series who's going to grab their helmet who are they sending in but the personality of matt mcgloin 
the fiery competitive side. And know, how we played in 2012. Brutally honest. Too. Like Yeah, under under Bill O'Brien, absolutely. I mean, that was something that was so was so important. But yet, I mean, his demeanor was so special, and he still has that chip on his shoulder as a former walk-on guy. Um, I mean, you remember that it was if I if this is right when I started covering the team. When you think back to Kevin Newsom, Paul Jones, right. uh, you know Matt McGloin and Rob Bolden. I mean, that was your quarterback race that year. Uh, and, a bunch and of blue chip at, recruits, and the best one ends up being a walk-on who also is the one who stuck in the NFL longer than Christian Hackenberg. <laughs> Kind of yeah, crazy. I mean, there's no, you can only get one quarterback on here. Um, but Matt McGloin would certainly, uh, we would find some kind of superlative for him during this decade. Best walk on? Uh, because he was, <laughs> uh, Carl Nassib would like a word. Oh, oh. Yeah. Okay. Best Actually, walk on offensive player. There you go. Best walk on offensive player who would give the mo- the best post game quotes. There you go. Best post game quotes. That's kind of a rarity sometimes at Penn State. So that's, that's good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, a, that's a category that I really value. So we've talked um, a lot about 2016. I mean, the Ohio State game, I was there as well. I, I mean, I remember packing up my things to go down to the field when Ohio State was lining up for that field goal. And it was like, all right, yeah. time, you know, they're going to make this and maybe Penn State has a chance to go back down the field, but who knows? And then, like, I was standing up, my computer closed with, and it, the block happens, and it's one of the loudest moments I will ever hear in my life, I'm sure. Uh, and just kind of remarkable, everything turned there. Everybody remembers the game, big fourth quarter comeback, and that sparks a nine-game winning streak. The Wisconsin game, they were down by 21 in the Big Ten title game. Just kind of insane how they kept, you know, that whole year with. We haven't even mentioned the words Joe Moorhead, uh, but. Joe Moorhead transformed the offense and they went from kind of unwatchable in 2014 and 2015 with kind of disastrous offensive lines to the most exciting team in the country because the style of play, uh, because of Saquon Barkley, obviously, but you know, McSorley is fearlessness throwing downfield, the receivers they had and the style of play. They made so many big plays. They had all these comebacks and it was like Penn state football was legitimately fun again and just incredibly compelling to watch and you add in you know the storyline and how you know they came back during that season really from from two and two you all add it up and then the game that we didn't include on the list but was one of the best games ever was the Rose Bowl which Penn State didn't win yeah. um, uh, but an all-time great Rose Bowl that didn't quite go the way that Penn was State incredible. wanted but it was an incredible football game I mean I remember being out there in Pasadena all week you know and you're kind of thinking like, how in the world did this team get here? Like it was just such a surreal run. And then they get there and you're saying, wow, this is a team that was known for getting off to slow starts. Then they got off to a fast start. And then it it was the opposite in that game. Uh, You look at Sam Darnold on the other side. You look at Juju Smith-Schuster on the other side of that game. I mean, there was, as you'd expect in the Rose Bowl, there was legitimate big time NFL talents on both sides and Penn State and USC, they just kept going blow for blow with each other. And Penn State scored the on the what, game. four plays in a, four offensive plays in a row or something like that at some point. Yeah, it, it was just <laughs> ridiculous. And Chris Godwin's like making one insane <laughs> catch after the next. Saquon's turning in a run that was, you know, probably the best, the best run in of the decade. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's like you just looked at what they were doing and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is the most entertaining shootout. And then down on the sideline at the end, uh, I remember watching the the workers for the Rose Bowl wheeling the boxes of Penn State Rose Bowl victory T-shirts right by me. And then you watch the field goal for USC go up and in, and 
that was legit dejection, heartbreak on that Penn State sideline. You know, the confetti's flying, and these guys hadn't lost in a very, very long time. And, you know, people will say, oh, well, should that team have gotten a crack at the college football playoff? And it, it, it was that is still going to be one of the interesting debates that we're still seeing in the playoff is what's the value of winning the Big Ten? Uh, when Don't Penn lose State by wasn't rewarded that, for it. My- <laughs> and that's right. And that's the other side of that. It was that, that Michigan game was the turning point. Um, but yeah, that, that Rose Bowl game was absolutely insane. Had Penn State won that game, certainly would have been big, probably the biggest game uh, on our list here. But the fact that they lost that game, we didn't want to have you guys rehash a bunch of bad memories. That was probably we'll the, do it here best, on the podcast. best actual game start to finish like most because it was legitimately one of the like three or four best Rose Bowls ever kind of incredibly kind of got topped in the playoff the next year by Georgia Oklahoma but just one of the all-time great great games it was amazing Uh, and I remember Matt after like leaving the Big Ten title game uh you know leaving that game and I I guess they were like kicking us out of the press box or something because surprise surprise I was taking a very long time with my story and I remember getting back to the hotel and I wasn't done yet and just thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to put this into words? <laughs> and I ran into somebody in the elevator, and I was like a fan, and they were like, oh, don't worry, you'll figure it out. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> then I had that same feeling after the Rose Bowl, where it was, oh my gosh, what did I just <laughs> see? Because it was, it was so crazy. But this was the other end of the spectrum, and you know, you're dealing with with players in a locker room because after after New Year's Six games, uh, the locker rooms are open and these guys are hurting and they were hurting bad. And, you know, how did that set the stage? Um, but yeah, that, that run of 2016 was, was certainly, uh, one of, was certainly the, the moment of the decade. But as we're digging into our repertoire of some under the radar receivers, as we've already done with Irv Charles, how about that night in Iowa city for Jawan Johnson? Yeah, that was the game where, I mean, that game is still incredible. It is like the most Iowa game ever. Like, <laughs> the fact that Iowa like was a play away from winning that game when Saquon Barkley played his best game, one of the best games I've ever seen from a running back. You had three hundred over three hundred fifty all purpose yards. Uh, it's pretty remarkable that that was twenty one to nineteen. Uh, Saquon Barkley had twenty eight carries, two hundred eleven yards. He had twelve catches for ninety four yards, and he had success as a return man. He had that just that that leap over a player and then which he got hit in midair landed and kept yeah. going it's just like insane and then they still almost lost the game but trace mcsterley comes through with just the ultimate drive to lead them calmly coolly in that atmosphere down the field and then you get fourth down and saquon barkley throws the block and you know they they kind of drew something up on the sideline with what they thought they could see and, and Jawan johnson across the middle and trace mcsterley throws as good a pass as he could ever throw and kind of that was when we thought, man, this could be a national title team. And if you're going to win a national title, you have to have moments like that. And it didn't prove that way, but it's still one of the most memorable games and moments of the decade for sure. Yeah, that was a special night. Uh, I was down there on the sideline when Juwan Johnson caught the pass. And Penn State's sideline, of course, is going crazy. And Juwan Johnson like walks right past me and the other reporters as he's going and he just, as he said afterward, he's like, I just blacked out. Like, I caught the ball and just lost my mind. <laughs> um, you know, that that was the biggest moment for him. And I know 
a lot of fans wanted to rag on him for the way things went last season and all the drops. Um, but, you know, you're seeing him turn a corner out there in Oregon, and he was always, like, one of the nicest kids to interview. I remember covering him as a recruit. Um, just always got the impression that he was a really good person, and that's something that I know that's not what this list is about. I know that's not always what my job is about, but you get to know some of these people and you get to see some of these players as recruits and as they kind of go through college and as they grow up. Um, and it's really interesting to see what he's doing now. And Saquon Barkley, of course, was another one of those guys who you get to know as a recruit and then you just see everything skyrocket. Um, I guess maybe our crazy moment of the decade would be how he didn't get more touches in that Temple game. Uh, but you look at what he's doing in the NFL game. now. <laughs> That's right. These are positive moments. Um, Ten sacks. Nobody wants to talk about that game. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, that was a game. Well, let's, uh, but, let, let's touch yeah, yeah, on yeah. a couple quick more games here as we probably go over time because there's a lot to talk about in the 2010. Yeah, producer's going to kill us today. <laughs> uh, but well, we should mention the 2013 Michigan game, which was a whiteout game. It was kind of – I don't want to say it was – the most memorable game of Bill O'Brien's tenure because there was the Wisconsin game at the Wisconsin. 20, end of the 2012 season, which we've talked about a little bit as well, which is right up there overtime. Cold, frigid, Mike Motti, uh, you know, everybody playing for him with the injury. Uh, but the 2013 Michigan was just absurd. You mentioned Allen Robinson catch. We have touched on it a little bit, but that was just a wild game. The Christian Hackenberg's kind of best moment really leading that drive at the end and then Michigan's running back Fitz Toussaint had 27 carries for 27 yards in that game, and Michigan kept running up the middle. Yeah. <laughs> and Penn State was – Bill O'Brien was a little bit more aggressive in overtime then. They went for it on a big fourth down and got the Bill, Bill Belton touchdown. It was kind of like they had a whiteout. It was, you know, a primetime game or a later game, and it was one of the more celebratory moments in the first couple of years after the scandal. Yeah, that huge, huge moment, the stadium reaction after that catch was – one of the loudest I've ever heard, but definitely was outdone on my unofficial decibel meter, of course, by the, the Grant Haley scoop and score. But, I mean, you could watch that catch by Allen Robinson 20 times and just not get sick of it. I mean, it was incredible play. And also on that drive, earlier on the drive, he had a really nice catch too. Uh, but that was the Hackenberg, I think, the moment that people thought, hey, this guy could be really, really good. And then... We see how it worked out, but again, still holds a lot of value in Penn State because of some of these moments that he was part of. And another 2013 game that I don't want to say gets forgotten, but it kind of does because it's the third most memorable Wisconsin game of the decade. You know, you had the Big Ten title yeah. game. You have the 2012 season capper that you know ended that year on a high note. Uh, 2013, though, there's a not only did they not have a losing record this decade, they didn't have a 500 record. And that's because Incredible. of how they finished the 2013 season, which was a massive upset. One of the biggest Penn State upsets I can remember. Obviously, the uh, the 2016 Ohio State game stands up there as the biggest, probably. But end of the 2013 season, they go to Wisconsin. Wisconsin was number 14 in the AP poll. But I, I believe the advanced metrics really liked Wisconsin at the end of that year as well. They were a good team. And Christian Hackenberg probably might have played. He had some good games. The BC game and yeah. the pinstripe bowl, which we could also mention. Uh, you know, a good game in, in, in Ireland. Um, Crook Park Classic. But at Wisconsin, this really, you know, good team, 21 of 30, 339 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Zach Zawindak also ran for 115 yards in that game. Allen Robinson, 122 receiving yards. Penn State was not supposed to win that game. They were up 31 to 14. Wisconsin had a little bit of a rally, but 
Uh, it's one we don't remember. Adam Brenneman, too, had a 68-yard touchdown yep. catch early in that game. It's one that I don't want to say we don't remember, but just because of the other Wisconsin games in this decade, and it's at the end of a you know 7-5 and five season. But um, It was huge. Pretty good way for Bill O'Brien to go out, <laughs> which we didn't know at and the I time, re- but yeah. Yeah, that's right. That was, that was the end for O'Brien, and I remember interviewing players after that game, and it was so weird because here, here we are in late November – and they're talking about like, yep, we're going to go back and we're going to start our off-season program because, of course, the ball ban was in place. And like, you know, it's like, all right, these guys are starting their off-season program the first week of December, um, you know, because there's a bowl ban and stuff like that. But the pride that that particular team had was really, really impressive. And again, Matt, collectively, not having a 500 season, not having a losing season, despite everything that was levied against this program, was incredible. One other game I want to mention that uh, as much as you know, people maybe don't want to admit because of the, who the opponent was, the Uh-oh. 2018 App State game was incredible. That was good. <laughs> I mean, that was a good game. And Penn State did win the game. It ended up being, you know, a, I don't want to say a forgettable season, but kind of ho-hum compared to yeah. the previous two. You know, to go to go 9-4, and four, they were still a good team. Uh, the App State game, I mean, has, uh, has the Penn State fan base ever left a game with more respect for an opponent than that. I mean, <laughs> it was just like, yeah, good on App State. They were really good. They like played hard as hell. And Zach and uh, our all purpose returner, uh, KJ yeah. Hamler was told not to leave the end zone with the ball and said, I'm tired of tired of all these fair catches. I'm taking the ball out and makes that huge play at, you know, at the end of the game, they should have lost that, that game. If incredible. App State would have ran clock or, and yeah, <laughs> I mean, that that was just an absolutely insane game. Um, and like you said, in, in the midst of a pretty letdown, pretty forgettable season, that was that was the week one scare for Penn State. But also, you could look back on it now and say, you know, enjoy watching it a little bit more potentially because you know how it ends. And hey, App State, well, everybody knows what they did to Michigan. But even, even in 2019, they won at South Carolina, at North Carolina. That is a perennially Scott scary Satterfield. team that Power 5 teams shockingly still schedule. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it ended up being, it was, you know, it was an amazingly compelling game that, I don't, it, it was a weird feeling after that game just because everybody just kind of recognized, yeah, App State is really well coached. And they, you know, the quarterback, Zach Thomas, played an amazing game. <laughs> and Penn State was lucky to escape with a win, but it was still a great football game. So, to- and Matt, in case we didn't bring up enough about our player of the decade, why don't you tell everyone who that was? Uh, Matt McGlynn. <laughs> no, um, no, no. <laughs> player of the decade is you could argue the well. I, he is. He's the most talented player probably to ever play for Penn State. I mean, obviously players change over time, and everybody, they're better athletes than ever before now. But we've never seen anybody like Saquon Barkley, which is you know saying something at a school that has had a million. The, the closest thing to him is probably LeVar Arrington in terms of pure athletic yeah. freakishness. Uh, Penn State's had a million great linebackers, a million great running backs. We've never seen anybody play like Saquon Barkley. And we mentioned some of the stats earlier. Um, your fondest memory of covering him, quickly. Fondest memory? Oh, that's a tough question, Matt. You're putting me on the spot. I am going to have to go, in terms of plays, I will go with the the Rose Bowl moment. Uh just you look at the, I again that's a play I could watch a million times and still not know how he did what he was able yeah. to do but like the fact that he could do that every week and I mean I think my favorite moment with him would just be watching the crowd respond 
every time yeah. he had the ball, <laughs> people were like standing up on their feet out of their seats in Beaver Stadium because he had the ability to just make this crowd like gasp every time he touched the ball. It was it was remarkable and just such a like nice kid, polite guy off the field, uh, really was everything that you're seeing in the NFL now is not a surprise for anybody who, and kids who played with him will tell you this, guys who played with him, people who covered him. I mean, this is who this guy has been. Uh, and really kudos to him because it doesn't seem like the NFL has changed him, no. uh, even though it would be easy to see, you know, the fame, the money, the fortune, uh, still at the crux of it seems like a, a good person who is just an insanely talented athlete. I mean, we saw it from the first significant game action he got against Buffalo. He had that leap over a defender and it's like, oh, wait a second. Why didn't this guy play last week? Yeah. And then, you know, you go through that year of the game at Ohio State, they ended up losing big, but he looked like he looked like as good a player as any on the field against a just absolutely loaded Ohio State team. Um, you know, that was, yeah, Ezekiel Elliott was on the other you, side. You go back through just yeah. looking at the schedules those years, and I remember, you know, flashes of, like San Diego State that year. He had this ridiculous screen pass, uh, spin move, touchdown that he broke free from like five defenders. You know, in 2016, you, you go through and uh, you think about, uh, you know, the catch against, you know, the, on the wheel route against Wisconsin. Um, you think about that run he had early in that Iowa game, which was kind of a statement game. You know, back at home after the Ohio State game, they ended up kind of pounding Iowa, and he had another great game there. You know, 2017, which was this, the Heisman campaign fell short. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you look at you know the the play I mentioned at Iowa where where he leaped over somebody, got hit midair, and there were other plays there in, in that game. Then the next week, he comes back in Indiana and returns the kick for a touchdown. Uh, you know, Ohio State at Ohio State returned a kick for a touchdown. The Michigan whiteout game. You know, that first touchdown on, on the kind of trick play oh, where he moved yeah. over to that quarterback. Was ridiculous. Just on yeah. and on and on and on and on. Now on to the Fiesta Bowl. I mean. And I think that's part of it too, Matt. The fact that it would have been easy for him to say, you know what? It's the Fiesta Bowl. I'm not playing in it because clearly I'm going to be a high draft pick. And that thought like never even entertained his no. mind, which was, you know, we're seeing it in this day and age. So many players, oh, I don't want an injury risk. And I understand that. But you look at, the fact that he was just all about the team and it wasn't a gimmick. It was genuine. And that was just so much of, there were so many instances where, you know, he would go out of his way to help other guys on the team. And they'd be like, dude, like you're the best guy here. Like, why are you helping me? You know, but that was just who he was. And that was probably one of my most favorite stories of this decade was um, a couple jobs ago when I was at DK Pittsburgh sports, I talked to 26 people, 26 different people about Barkley um, and just what his legacy was going to be and what he meant to this place and some of their anecdotes. And it wasn't just all on the field stuff either. I think that was the other thing. I mean, I've never seen a guy sign so many autographs for kids, um, you know, after whether it's after games or they'd be doing charity events around campus, around town. Uh, he was always just always there, always accountable, always seemingly in a good mood. Uh, definitely one of those people who I don't, I probably will never cover someone like that again, (laughs) just in terms of, you know, like yeah, just the athleticism, but he was the whole package and still is. Well, that's a good way to end our, our look back, our extensive look back at the 2010s, which, you know, deserves an extensive look back because it was a very eventful decade. Um, It ended up with some, some nice positives, 
by the end of the decade and so obviously some memorable players i don't know if i don't i doubt that penn state will have another saquon barkley in the 2020s uh but certainly an intriguing decade lies ahead for the nittany lions after you know the way they've they finished the 2010s and, and kind of gotten back onto stable ground and, and still potentially on an upward trajectory so uh, lots to see. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll have a decade podcast wrap up in, in 10 years in 2029, but I don't want to think that far ahead because we'll be, we'll be <laughs> I'm crazy. ready for another 10, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> who, I mean, we've seen what happens to us between 20 and 30. Who knows what happens between 30 and 40. I could really lose my mind by then. Well, there you have it. Uh, please, you know, thanks for listening to Gerald state. And thanks for listening to all of our decade memories, but please check out on the athletic, uh, the entire companies across all sports, all of our decade coverage on the best moments of the decade, the best players, best games, pretty much anything you can think of team by team, including Audrey's uh, decade look back for Penn State, which we pretty extensively just covered, but it's all there on, on papers or on, on, and some on the quotes, app as well. Bunch of fighters are on there. That's true. <laughs> so <laughs> there you have it. Thanks, Audrey. This was fun. I uh, hope everybody enjoyed our special decade wrap-up edition of Dear Old State. You can subscribe, rate, review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And uh, please subscribe to The Athletic as well and, and read all the great decade content. Thanks for listening.